Hello people, welcome to the When in Yorkshire podcast. I hope you're all getting by okay. This episode is number 49 and features Sleeping Soul and Dive Dive bassist as well as Vans for Bands head honcho, the very tall Tarrant Anderson. So this adds to my collection of the Sleeping Souls. Uh, Just a warning, Ben and Callum, I'm coming for you. And this is another conversation held at Slam Dunk Festival where the Sleeping Souls played on the Punkin' Drublick stage. And this was a conversation I've wanted to have since way back in January of 2019, I think it was, um, after speaking to the former drummer Nigel Powell about Dive Dive. Um, And then this was reignited, I guess, um, after seeing the amazing work that, that Vans for Bands did throughout the pandemic. Now we chat about these topics more and as this is going to be a double release weekend um, I don't want to go on too much. Um, All I want to add is that if you've not taken the time to fully appreciate the magnificent bass work that Tarrant adds to Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls and Dive Dive or in fact even if you have done that um, please please go and check out not just the back catalogue of his work um, but also I think any live videos would be amazing as I mean I guess without leaping into the air um, he always delivers a what seems to be technically perfect um, and massively entertaining performance every time um, or at least every time that I've seen him and in every video that I've seen him play. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm not going to go on much more. Um, enjoy. This is from Slam Dunk Festival in Leeds, episode 49 with Tarrant Anderson. I'm here with Tarrant from Sleeping Souls at Slam Dunk. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, oh, I'm lovely. Thank you very much. Good. So, yeah, I've got a, a few conversations with your touring party, um, and it's lovely that you guys have been able to give us some time here. Um, so, welcome to Slam Dunk. Um, have you played the festival before? I don't think we have, no. I mean, it's it's a difficult one, though, because when, when you reach back over about 15 yeah. years, you can't. I can't remember all of the shows, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think this is our no, first I time here. that you've got a... Uh, a, a encyclopedic knowledge of every show that you've, you've played please yes no <laughs> can't do that sorry that's fine so yeah um with regards to uh, obviously you play bass in sleeping souls um and you've had time playing bass with with dive dive prior to that um and you work you run vans for bands is that is that a fair summation of your it is. That's pretty much got it covered. Yeah. Excellent. Great. So I spoke to Nigel a few years ago as well. So he, he's given me some some dive dive information, and there's a couple of bits that I'd love to to sort of ask you about a bit more that, that really struck me, and he pointed me in your direction. Go for it. So back in the in the dive dive days, he was explaining about um, on some of your tours, or maybe just one tour, where you would play an afternoon show at, in schools. Yeah. Where did that idea come about? Because that sounded amazing and something that I would have loved to have happened when I was at school. Oh, it was about, that was a, in 2005. Um, and it was, I think it was a campaign for our first Dive Dive record, which is Tilting at, Windmill, Tilting at Windmills. Um, where did the idea come from? I think we were just, we were so obsessed with playing shows and we were, we had kind of grown up on a diet of, of um, American hardcore bands mm-hmm. that had that DIY ethic of just getting in the van going playing 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 touring you know never stop touring Um, and so we wanted to fit in as many shows as we possibly could in a short period of time and it was a way of 
of um, of doing that so that we do we do like a a morning or afternoon show, show in a school or in a community club or anywhere that would have us and yeah. we do an evening show uh, in a in a in a normal gig venue I think I'm pretty sure we did 46 shows in 46 days or something like that amazing <laughs> I mean it was just it was pretty wow. nuts we weren't speaking to each other by the end of yeah, it yeah. we'd get in the van and you'd be looking at newspapers doing the crossword or whatever and no one would speak just for three everything. hours yeah <laughs> so how, how did you approach schools with that I'm pretty sure we had some the label we were on at the moment at, at the time it was called Diablo they had somebody that did it ah, for okay. us on, on our behalf basically got in touch and, and just because we did what we did was we did the show and we, there was also a, after that there was a kind of like an educational environment there was a Q&A yeah. section about you know working as a musician earning no money having no <laughs> career pros- prospects <laughs> just exactly probably appeal to the teachers yeah, don't become a musician yeah. become a, an accountant or work in a bank or say how, how something solid how openly honest were you with the kids then um, I think we were pretty honest yeah yeah pretty honest back then you don't at that age you know 15 years ago we didn't have that much guile so yeah, no, yeah. fair enough fair enough so in terms of your musical background then what's where did where did this come from what was kind of how did you get into playing music just well really from the Oxford music scene in the in the mid 90s mm-hmm. um, it, Oxford's always had a really vibrant scene lots of yeah. touring bands come through and obviously, there's a lot of um, homegrown talent mm. there as well. Um, and so, going to loads of local local gigs and seeing bands like Supergrass come up and do well, yeah. or the Candy Skins, um, and obviously Radiohead. Yeah. Um, through the '90s, really kind of um, it, it, it it kind of broadened our horizons and showed what could what you could do. It made it seem like a, an attainable and achievable ex- thing. Exactly. And we were at school, you know, none of us in um, Dustball at the time or late, later dive dive, we weren't really into sports. We yeah. were kind of, you know, geeky indie kids that didn't, you know, fit in. Or, uh, we weren't mainstream. Yeah. We wanted something else to do. So we played music all the way through school. And and having, the, having these examples of what you could actually do mm. and attain uh, uh, meant that we could justify spending our time doing yeah. that starting to play gigs um, at the time the music we were into was kind of um, 90s indie rock okay so it's stuff like Mega City 4 Census Things well, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff Sonic Youth um, and that's that's really how, how yeah. did that develop into Dive Dive well that that kind of naturally developed in slightly harder music into kind of Fugazi that Minor Threat okay. that kind of stuff and then that dive dive was, was a mixture of those two kind of things. Yeah. It was had the slightly more poppy element, but then it also had a slightly more technical, mm. technical rock, um, post hardcore element to it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember. I think it was probably the, the there's, a, there's a video with uh, Jamie Lenman, and you're getting people out of boxes. You're kind of That's creating right, yeah. the band. I think that was the first thing that I that I saw. Yeah. Um, and you know the visual element did capture me, and I was. Uh, I thought it was great, great idea, and it's just like, yeah, I can see how they've done that as well, and I loved the fact that it kind of felt like you'd had a big input in putting that together, yeah. whether or not you did, I don't know, but it, it kind of felt like that, it was that attainable thing, I thought, yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah, something yeah. that I can understand how they've done that, um, but the sound, yeah, it, it was very different, but it it kind of fit into everything that I was listening to at that time, so it kind of had, like you say, the, the kind of hardcore elements, but then there was a real kind of a real melodic nature to it, and it was it was had those catchy hooks as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of fun to listen to, and, and looked a lot of fun to play. 
It was actually. I mean, it, it is. It's been a long time since we've had time to do any dive dive stuff. Mm. Um, but we never kind of split the band up. It's just we just haven't had time busy. to. Yeah, busy doing other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah it's, but it's great fun to play that that stuff. Yeah, and I, I, when I spoke to Nigel, I did say I never. I, I was meant to see. I think there was a couple of gigs where I was meant to see you, and for whatever reason, I couldn't make it. Um, and yeah, absolutely gutted. So I have put in a request with Nigel, and I'll put it into you as well that if you could find like a two-week tour set somewhere, that would be amazing. And I'll, yeah. I would uh, just just for me, that'll be appreciated. Yeah. Fair so, enough. Yeah, just just well, I'll I'll book it for you. Just let me know when you're free. Well, you, you, uh, you don't want to you don't want to make offers like that. <laughs> We're okay. getting phone calls. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, no, genuinely, it's. It looks so much fun, and uh, yeah, lo- I still love listening to the stuff. So yeah, um, and it didn't. The last album didn't get a live run, as far as I. It didn't. Was no, aware. again, just time. Yeah, We're just so flat out. Frank is a slave driver. So, yes, um, I've heard. So, yeah, uh, and that and that and also on the other side, the Vans for Vans stuff keeps me very busy when I'm not. Yeah. On tour. So how, how did that come about? Because that's you know I see your Vans everywhere. V- uh, um, well, VFB. So in around what year was it? Well, all the way, basically, when I left school, mm-hmm. I started working in a local music venue as a front of house engineer, and that moved on to doing touring work with yeah. bands. So I was touring uh, the club circuit mainly with bands like Ruben, yeah. um, Jamie Lemon's band, um, some American artists that used to come over, and I was always going in to London to rent touring vehicles, splitter right. vans, mm-hmm. and um, being lazy, I didn't, I didn't want to do that anymore, because yeah. quite often, if you're doing spot dates, you'd be getting up early in the morning getting the van going to pick up the band doing the gig dropping the band off at a hotel back in London or, or back at home yeah. wherever they lived then going back into London Drop dropping the, the vehicle off and sometimes you weren't getting home till 6-7am and it's horrible yeah. basically um, really not healthy not safe for the rest of it so I saw a splitter van uh, advertised for sale and I went to the bank manager and said can I have a, a, a loan for uh, um, educational development I think <laughs> And it was back in the days where they would actually just give you a loan. You didn't have to, you literally just... No proof. You just signed and that was it. The money was in your account an hour later. So that's, I bought my first splitter van. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, Adam Morn, was um, tour manager for Seth Lakeman. Okay, yeah, and yeah. He, he had just, I think he just won the Mercury. Yeah. He'd been nominated, he'd won the Mercury Award that year. And he'd had six months straight touring books. And... Um, he, he basically came to me and said look I need a van we're based in Plymouth I've got the same problem you've got but it's way worse <laughs> and can I rent yeah. your splitter van from you for six months so wow. I did I said yeah sure being the benevolent chap yeah. I mean it's nothing to do with the money but um, but anyway so yeah I rented it to him and Seth to, to use um, for, for that six month period but that left me without a van Yeah. so I got a second one <laughs> and then it snowballed from there and that's well, that was 2006, I think. Um, just start collecting vans. Just started collecting vans. <laughs> yeah. And like like all um, uh, addictions or hobbies or whatever, um, it can get out of control. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... We're now, actually, I think we're the biggest um, we're the biggest splitter van supplier in Europe now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And we, got, we went into buses in about 2011, 2012 as well. It was that, was that for, for your own needs? I think it was to do something... Well, yes, it was. It was partly because we were using buses with Frank. Yeah. Um, and it was partly just because I wanted to do something new. You, know, you always want new challenges. Yeah, you want to yeah. do new things um, with it. So it was just to expand into that yeah. and see 
that that it feels like you've got two very full time careers on the go here. Yeah, yeah. How, how on earth do you manage that? Well, by having a fantastic team at Bands okay. Bands. To be honest, it's it's all about people, um, and they. I'll be honest. That place it's it's a bit different right now because of mm. the pandemics, but a huge amount of stress on the organisation on anybody that working in the music industry and yeah. music industry infrastructure, um, and it's the same for us. It's put a lot of stress. So at the moment, my hands are absolutely full. But normally, um, the team there are brilliant and they can run it without me being there for months on end. Yeah, so that's that. That's it, good. It works. <laughs> yeah. It works. I just come back and there's lots of. St- stuff bits and pieces that nobody's wanted to deal with <laughs> like fines oh, okay yeah, yeah insurance issues or whatever and i just have to spend about two weeks kind of looking at it going <laughs> oh my god i want to you know i don't want to be doing this yeah, yeah. no I can, Im- I can imagine put you out of office on then come back to a million emails yeah exactly with fines yeah that's yeah. That, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound awesome but yeah so with with regards to the pandemic you did some great work uh, you know Obviously, the, the vans weren't going out for with bands, um, and then I, I saw you kind of put a project together to to get them out to to hospitals and such. So, how it seems an obvious thing, but how did that come about? It came about because um, Ed uh, Ed and I, my fellow director Ed and I, were listening to a, a radio piece about the is back going back to April 2020 about hospitals having to expand into the staff areas mm-hmm. and so the frontline staff in lots of hospitals didn't have anywhere to basically to to rest to take yeah. off for the PPE um, they were literally just going out to car parks in whatever the weather was yeah. in order to have a five minute break and it just seemed really obvious that well we've got these assets that are now just sat in the yard doing nothing we were also to be blunt pretty um, pessimistic about the future of of the company mm. because you know they they all of these vehicles are financed yeah huge amount of outgoings on a monthly basis and if you've not if they haven't got work um nobody had had been presented with this kind of problem before yeah and nobody knew what the finance companies were do going to do what the banks were going to do what the insurance mm-hmm. companies were going to do so we were just looking at it thinking we don't know what you know we can survive maybe three months without cash flow wow but we'll see so what while while we're here let's try and do something positive mm. and it and it also then gave us something to focus on which wasn't just entirely negative um we were able to just you know start reaching out to nhs trusts um and and just try you know f- find a temporary solution for a very real problem that yeah. made a big difference to um to people's lives yeah you know it allowed doctors and nurses to actually get their ppa off um, get into a bus, have a cup of tea, have a have a break for fifteen minutes, um, or indeed sleep on them if they were knackered. Yeah. Um, I think some of the teams were actually sleeping on them overnight because they just mm-hmm. couldn't get home, or yeah. they were self isolating because they didn't want to. They were scared about infecting their families, um, or if their families were shielding. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that happened, and they were out there for some of them were out there three months, over three months, um, and then obviously as time went on, the hospitals put in infrastructure to deal yes. with that problem um, some of them some of the hospitals they actually they'd expanded into the staff areas for extra ward space because there mm-hmm. wasn't enough ward space so there was no staff areas left um, for them to take breaks in and then some of them it, the problem was that there was a shared air system in the whole hospital okay. which seems bizarre so, yeah. to me yeah. but, but basically they couldn't use the staff areas because 
yeah. all of the air was circulating through the whole infection. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean and that that I think the last bus came back in mid June 2020, um, and then off the back of that, we've actually done quite a lot of stuff with either NHS or local authorities, which mm. has been really interesting. Again, it's just like doing um, new things. Yeah. Really, um, we're doing. We've got quite a lot of vehicles out as mobile testing vans right, for local okay, authorities. Yeah, makes sense. We've done bits and pieces for the NHS on the G7, for example. Yeah. Um, accommodation for NHS staff for that. Wow. It's, it's really interesting being involved in stuff that's not music. Yes. Music. Having yeah. pretty much focused on music touring for 15 years. Hence the name as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that's basically a that's pretty much a rundown of it. Brilliant. Yeah, in, it was... There's loads of videos as well that have come from, you know, the, the nurses, the doctors, you know, the NHS staff just showing how appreciative they were of, of having that space um and yeah like you say being able to have that 10 15 minutes without and either without being in the blistering heat um as as it was or or you know all the rain and just being able to have that break so i think it's it's absolutely it was a real asset to them so yeah thank you very much for getting involved in that i think it's, it's absolutely brilliant um and just yeah i was, I was hoping that i'd see more similar companies kind of jumping on that that, that bandwagon so to speak but uh, I, I didn't see much I think it was a I mean to be to be fair I think it was a very difficult time for a lot of companies mm. and, and we were just very lucky that we were ultimately completely supported by our, the stakeholders financial stakeholders so right. you know our finance companies our, our insurance company our bank they all supported us and yeah. particularly in terms of that initiative when we talked to our insurers about it mm-hmm um, ERS, I don't that's that's who insures us. They were just um, yes, do it, and we'll cover you. Oh. At the same time as giving us a complete payment holiday, right on um, on that's, our on our payments. Yeah, so, there's, a, there's a nice story because you don't often hear that about about huge insurance companies and such. So, but I, there was a, it was definitely a sense everyone was kind of pulling together, yeah. and it was a positive thing, and people were happy to get on board. But a lot of music industry infrastructure companies weren't necessarily in the same boat in yeah. terms of their stakeholders and so a lot of people just kind of like i think had to pull up the drawbridge yeah and just wait and see what happens fair enough yeah okay so not not all about intentions just capabilities yeah so exactly that makes yeah. sense okay yeah. i'll i'll with, withhold some of my uh, <laughs> some of my frustration at that then um, so in terms of getting back to the music in terms of sleeping souls yeah how did you what's your first memory of of kind of playing with frank and and, and that journey um, well playing with Frank well so I think it's well documented now we met him on a Ruben tour yeah. in 2005 I think um, playing I, just, I just spoke to, to Matt and I spoke to Nigel that uh, part of the conversation may have happened in Leeds at, at, at the Joseph Swell that's probably right yeah I would have thought thought that's about right um, would have been Birmingham and Leeds I think the two yeah. critical shows um, but then so he then he was looking for somewhere to record an EP mm-hmm. and, and musicians to play with and at the time I was still living at home with my mum and my stepfather and I had a studio in the basement right from being a, a sound engineer I'd collected lots of old analogue gear I had a, a, a two inch 24 track um, Studor A80 um, which was <laughs> I bought off the BBC a large console yeah, desk yeah. all the loads of gear basically excellent um and um, so he just, yeah, he, he basically came and stayed the summer. I think he was basically lived at my house for the whole summer. We did, um, we did campfire punk rock mm-hmm. in my basement, um, and that was it, really. And then it, 
we didn't tour with him for a while after that. Um, he was still t- he was still touring probably for the about a year m- entirely solo. Yeah, and it wasn't. I think it wasn't until we did Sleepers for the Week touring. I don't know. I mean, it's going back a long way. Yeah, my yeah. memory's <laughs> hazy. But um, you're better off talking to. You know, Nigel or Matt have a much more encyclopedic knowledge of this kind of thing. So in, t- in terms of those kind of early days playing bass with Sleeping Souls, or unnamed at that point, just band with Frank Turner, um, how was that in comparison to your dive-dive days? Di- uh, quite different, because what Frank was doing was, obviously at the time, was kind of like old country. Yeah. Folk punk, old uh-huh. country. Um, so it was... It was trying to kind of step back from from that kind of um, uh, post-hardcore approach to putting yeah. bass lines together or music together arrangements and listening to a lot of the kind of stuff he was naming as influences and then trying to yeah, okay. put that, bring that into the mix so it was, again it was an interesting it was doing something slightly new yeah it was quite interesting in terms of in terms of live show you guys certainly I mean for pretty much any of the song um, I mean you, you and Ben very much. I know Ben's not with you at the moment. He's he's parenting. He's back in the country today, actually. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, yeah, brilliant. He's back in the country. Um, I've seen you guys quite a few times in various different stages um, around the world. In fact, I think I saw yeah. you in Germany at Hurricane Festival uh, ten years ago, possibly. Um, and that, yeah, the the live show. You guys are incredibly animated and, and use the space really well. It's and I, that guy, I haven't I haven't seen. Um, I haven't seen the new kind of formation of the band at the moment, but I include like Nigel was was also a very animated figure as well at the back. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's it's a brilliant live show to watch. Well, you got to stay just, fit. Yes, you, yeah, clearly. It's all about cardiovascular fitness. That's, that's <laughs> the only that's the only consideration. Absolutely, and you know you've got one of the heavier instruments to hold. Yeah, um, yeah. It's how's your kind of I guess your your writing style developed? Then would you say? over the years well that's an interesting question um, I think because we do so much more work with Frank now than we do with anybody else mm. it, we're uh, t- uh, well certainly personally I'm o- often led by what he's trying to achieve so when we're doing a new record he's stylistically over the last few records has moved around the terrain <laughs> yeah. um, and whenever we're doing a new record he will he will be saying you know I want this is my idea for this record and I, I and I'm I'm thinking about XYZ artists that's kind of the reference points okay and so the pro- the first step will be kind of to listen to that to have a good think about it and then to work around those reference points and see what else is in that genre yeah, okay and then bring that into the mix basically to to tr- to try and kind of echo those that's that stylistic approach yeah, yeah. to the music and it's not you know as a musician you can't fully step out of your own influences yeah you always I'm always gonna go back to my roots which are in kind of 90s oh you know old guitar music yeah um, but you you so you, you end up marrying your, the foundations of your musical experience to, yeah. to, to to new influences which is kind of interesting absolutely and it's yeah it's I think you can always with certainly with the rhythm section with Frank as much as the stylistic side of things have changed I can very much I could very much hear your bass lines and, and, and kind of pick them out yeah. um, 
really yeah really interesting to listen to not just not just in terms of the the melody but in terms of the rhythm so there's some absolutely brilliant brilliant work there well, not, not thank you to, uh, yeah, to, to blow too much smoke up your ass no keep it coming yeah, come on yeah. more <laughs> but no abs- yeah it, it, genuinely I think that and I'm interested to hear uh, what the next new music with with a new drummer will, will, will sound like because um, I think you had a, obviously quite a long term relationship with um, with Nigel in, in terms of how you two worked together we did um, yeah I mean going back I think our first shows with him were in about 2000, so it's 20 years. Yeah, um, 20 years of, of playing, and I, and that and that lineup with Nigel and the drums was very, you know, you get it was kind of almost symbiotic the way that it, the whole thing yeah. gelled um, together. And you get when you play with the same lineup for that length of time, you stop kind of verbally communicating or needing to verbally communicate yeah. about, about things. It's very much. So it's a very different thing now. Pick up um, on, on audible cues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it's a very different thing. Like Callum is a brilliant drummer. Mm, yeah. um, he's a, it's a different, um, he's a different stylistic approach to Nigel. Obviously, it's a bit like. Um, I suppose it's a bit like if a chef choosing to use different ingredients in order okay. to make a slightly different yeah, yeah. dish, a version of a dish, which is a, possibly a <laughs> yeah. weird way of describing it, but. I think it's apt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See if I can get any more culinary um, analogies today. That'll be good. Yeah, great. So, in terms of kind of what's what's next, is there anything you're allowed to uh, to divulge? Um, well, probably, but I, I mean, I'm on the base place. I'm the last to know about anything. <laughs> <laughs> so is that the I mean, se- order? seriously. <laughs> Yeah, first you hear about it is when you know one of your vans is being used. Well, you, pretty much, yeah. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the our bus bus um, fleet manager often gets dates before I do. <laughs> he comes in and says, "So this bus on the such and such dates," and I'm like, "What? <laughs> what are you oh, talking I'm about?" In that part of the world. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, yeah, I've, I've um, very much looking forward to seeing you guys today. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I love watching you guys. Um, the whole band, you know, obviously Frank's a big part of, of that, but um, yeah, in terms of the music, it wouldn't be the same without you guys. And I have a specific memory I will just just leave. Um, we managed to get tickets on the day to I'm gonna to Darlington for a New Year's Eve gig. Yep. Was that? Uh, where was that at? It was in a weird club thing that had various rooms that looked like rooms in a house it wasn't a massive stage yeah. but um, yeah up in, up in Darlington um, and yeah that, that was a, an absolutely bizarre but brilliant gigs just after um, I Still Believe came out yeah yeah. Um, and I think the EP had just come out that, that had yeah. that on and yeah absolutely great and yeah just I'd seen you in a couple of stages that were festival stages up to that point and a few smaller stages and then this brought it right back down because that was a small stage but the the energy is always there and, and always present so yeah absolutely brilliant experiences from my side so thank you very much please keep that up You've yeah we've got quite a high level in in my kind of experience of seeing you guys so we've got, um, we got to keep keep to that bar yeah absolutely yeah. and i'll um i'll you know obviously i've, I've got trees emails so if it ever falls below I'll just You're going to let us know? Yeah, yeah, All right, absolutely. Good. Keep, I'll, keep I'll, look for, I'll look for an email on Monday then. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. Appreciate your time. All right. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank Cheers. You.
So there it is, episode 49, with the very polite and equally tall Tarrant Anderson. I hope you enjoyed that, and you go on to spend some of your time today, um, at least some of it, appreciating his base work. Um, And if you're in need of a van or vans for your band or bands, then get in touch with him. Um, The vans look awesome, um, and he was a genuinely lovely guy, so go give him plenty of support. Um, I think that's it. So thank you very much for listening. Um, Much, much appreciation goes out to everybody that, that comes up and lets me know what they think. So feel free to send an email, send a message, um, or just share this with somebody else that you think likes listening to podcasts. Um, I'll leave you now to carry on with the rest of your day. Enjoy. Thank you very much for listening and good night.